HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Comté-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. This week on Meet and 3, we look at the ways indoor and outdoor spaces are being reconceptualized during the pandemic to better suit new modes of living, working, and eating. Brought a vibrancy and an energy back to the city streets that were so dearly missed during the height of the pandemic. This is about how we can grow indoors all year round uh, using proprietary technology that we've developed. How do I have someone understand, look, don't take a next to the June berries because you can eat those. That's free food. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, Diane. How are you? I am doing great. How are you? I'm good. So I'm delighted to have you on the show again. She is, uh, most people know, our first host on Cutting the Curd. Um, Welcome back. And now you've written a book. Yes. So super excited. That just uh, came out last Tuesday. Yes, yes. Now, when when I did the maternity leave, was it kid number one or two? It was kid number one, and now I actually have number three, who's turning two today. Oh. That's not too confusing for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and she's turning three today. Two, actually. Oh, two, two. Kid, two. Number, kid number three turning two. But yeah, so much time has elapsed between uh, when you... Uh, <laughs> First took over cutting the curd and now. Okay. Okay. So um, I'm trying to go faster in my notes because we don't have much time because we've used it up having to run around. Um, so EGADS, what a moment in time. COVID, pre-election, Black Lives Matter, everyone's crazy and not knowing the future. Yeah, it's... Uh... Definitely a weird moment. I feel like uh, cheese and I mean food in general and cheese in particular seems to be kind of a balm for the soul right now. It's like 
yes makes you happy yes (laughs) lots of those like serotonin releasing you know uh feel good feel good things that cheese has in it um so i feel good about uh, eating cheese right now i also feel really good about supporting other small businesses through my small business um, okay good so let's come down and discuss the book when did you write it i'm presuming pre-covid Yes, I, I I'm thankfully um Kelly uh Snowden who is the um my editor at 10 Speed approached me with the project in January of 2019. So I had just come back kind of from having maternity leave from kid number 3, although when you're a small business owner, you know, maternity leave was kind of like 2 weeks and then basically like working through the holidays. So mm-hmm. but I feel like I still had enough headspace to kind of um, wrap my head around it. And she said that they were doing this new series, um, they being 10 speed press called the new rules. And they had done one about wine and one about coffee and what I want to do one about cheese. And I had always been interested in writing a book, but I never knew how I should come at it because there are so many, uh, cookbooks and I'm not a cookbook writer and there are so many memoirs. And I thought who needs another cheese memoir? Um, you know, and I just, uh, wanted the book to be fun and useful and this format of having these 52 short rules just seemed like such a fun way to come at it. So that's where the rules come from. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a new rules of wine. There's new rules of coffee um, that were both put out by 10 speed. And now this is the new rules of cheese. So yeah, it's like 52 short essays about everything from cheese appreciation to how cheese is made to how you should, you know, not throw away the weird moldy cheese in your fridge and turn it into macaroni and cheese instead mm-hmm. to, um, you know, how grass-fed dairying can save the planet. You know, it's kind of a wide-reaching. Uh, yes, it is very wide-reaching. I love that about this book, that it it covers all bases. Um, yeah, I was but I didn't that. understand where the rules came from because some of them are more rules and some of them aren't. Exactly. Yeah. So there were some kind of uh, very obvious rules and others that were just kind of ideas or passions of mine that I had to mm-hmm. squeeze into a rule format. So uh-huh. <laughs> we had to, you know, do a little bit more creative uh, reaching than others. Right. I wonder if um, wine was easier to do with rules. Oh, my gosh. Seems like there are a lot of rules with wine. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yes. And I'm much more fluid. I mean, no, I don't know, liquid pun intended, but. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love the book's second title, which is A Freewheeling and Informative Guide. And both of those are true. It's it's totally freewheeling, like kind of you yourself. And it's super informative with many cheese facts. I wanted to call it initially um, a fun, freewheeling, unpretentious guide to everyone's favorite food. And then they decided to trim that down, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I understand at the end. But they, well, thank you. I'm glad you think it's true to those uh, those principles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, some of the information in it, uh, let me go over now, I, my first questions were, how were the rules set? But you've answered that. How did you decide to have empty spaces in the book? Were you allowed to? 
Oh, empty spaces. Um, just in regards to like how the book is laid out. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen that before. So many empty spaces. <laughs> I guess I didn't have enough to write about. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm, no. It seemed like it was on purpose. Yeah, no, that totally was not my decision. That was the um, the design team from mm -hmm. um, Ten Speed. So there was a a book designer, a very talented woman. Her name was Lizzie Allen, and then an illustrator, um, also super talented woman named Alex Citrin. And uh, Lizzie really took the lead in designing and laying out the book. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. So I just saw a beautiful, a beautiful rendition. I was like, cool, looks, looks great. <laughs> <laughs> and it's nice and small. I also like how small it is because it can almost fit in your pocket. Yeah, I think that's a really smart thing that they, um, again, they being Ted Speed Press, that they decided to make these books like uh, in this format because they're very affordable. You know, it's fourteen ninety nine, and it's tiny, and it's like you could bring it around with you if you're walking around or taking the subway around if you're doing mm -hmm. that these days. Or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's a perfect little little gift too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't know what the price was, but I meant to ask. Um, but anyway, so I've got amazing questions here. Uh, should we take a break first? No, no, not time for a break. Um, okay, so you, you have so many different parts of this book. Cheese is expensive or is it not? I would argue it's not. And that is <laughs> one of the things that I hear a lot behind the cheese counter or, you know, just uh, in passing. Um, I think for that particular rule, I used this funny caption that I saw on Instagram, which said um, two things that I've learned about adult life. And one of them was that everybody does cocaine, which I don't really think is true. But anyways, they said the two things that all adults or that they learned as adults were that and that cheese was effing expensive. Um, and I just thought that was very funny. Like of all the things in the world, those were the two you decided to call out. And uh, I was like, well, cheese is not expensive if you know the work that goes into it. Because in order to make cheese, you have to start with milk. And in order to get the milk, you have to milk the animals twice a day. Uh, you know, depending on what kind of animal you're milking, a cow, sheep, or a goat. If it's a cow, it's 365 days a year. If it's a goat, it's like 300 days a year. If it's a sheep, it's for five or six months. But still, twice a day, the milking takes three hours for milking. Then you have to turn that milk into cheese, which takes eight to 10 hours in the course of the day. And then you have to age and care for that cheese, which can take anywhere from a couple weeks to a couple months to a couple years, during right. which time the cheese loses weight. You know, it can start off weighing <laughs> Uh, you know, 160 pounds and wind up weighing, you know, 100 pounds. And so when you really think about all that taken together, getting a wedge of artisan cheese for $24 a pound seems like a bargain to me. <laughs> it's a very good description. And you didn't have to do any of that work. And I didn't even talk about dishwashing or cleaning up after right. all that. I mean, it's right. an insane amount of work. Right, right. That's true. That's true. Now, um, now you also help people learn how to taste cheese. Yes. Um, and tasting cheese, I'm a little bit more, you know, agnostic about it. I feel like people can kind of, uh, you know, I just want people to have fun when they're tasting cheese, but, um, you know, there are general rules of thumb that make it more pleasurable, such as, you know, making sure you're tasting the cheese at room temperature, 
So the flavors will fully express themselves and starting from milder and moving towards stronger cheeses. Um, things that are just kind of, uh, you know, basic, but for those who are maybe just learning about cheese, they might not know that stuff. And so Mm -hmm. it's really helpful to have somebody laid it out because it's not a secret guide or a secret code. You just, you know, if nobody told you, you might not know. So it's good to know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. Hello, I'm talking to Anne Saxelby about her book. Uh, what is the title of your book? I can't title, remember. The title of the book is The New Rules of Cheese. Oh, right. A Fun and Freewheeling Guide. Yes, um, yes, yes. And it was published by Ten Speed Press. Okay, so I want to discuss eating the rind. You recommend eating the rind. I do. I always tell people that I feel like that's probably in the top three or top five questions that I get whenever I'm doing any kind of cheese education thing is, can you eat the rind? And my stock answer is, unless it's made of wax, bark, or cloth, the answer is yes. (laughs) It's just whether or not you like it. Um, Right. Right. And depending on the age of the cheese, um, you know, it, it can be tastier or slightly less tasty. But I always try it. I think it's uh, it can definitely add some really cool flavor. So uh, and pairings, a big, a big issue is pairings. Um, what what do you have to say in two seconds about pairings? I think the best pairing is the one that you like the best. Um, oh, OK. OK. And that if you're eating good cheese and drinking something that's tasty, you'll probably be happy at the end of the day. That said, you know, there are certain things that really do work quite well and things, uh, you know, that are very tried and true. 
Um, and so I've laid out kind of, you know, five or six of those. Um, but I think that just having a uh, great cheese paired with great wine or cider or beer or a mocktail, if you're not a uh, drinker, you know, that that'll all make you happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, and cheese is seasonal. Can you describe that for us? Sure. Um, yeah, most people don't think of uh, cheese as being a seasonal product, but if you run a dairy farm, it definitely is. Uh, with goats and sheep in particular, uh, cows are not as picky about when they breed, um, and they can uh, produce milk for a pretty long time. I think about ten months at a go. So most cow dairies will kind of, um, you know, breed their cows throughout the year so that they always have a fresh supply of milk coming in. Um, but on goat and sheep dairies, um, those animals like to breed in the fall, and then they are pregnant all winter long and give birth in the springtime. And uh, so goat and sheep cheeses, the fresh ones are ready in the late spring. The aged ones are ready uh, in the early fall. Mm-hmm. And then they, the aged ones continue to age and get better, you know, throughout the fall and winter. Um, so, yeah, th- there are definitely certain times of the year that we look forward to different cheeses. Um, mm-hmm. And certain times of the year when we like to eat certain types of cheese better. And that's kind mm-hmm. of a seasonal thing, too. Like in the summertime, no one wants to eat a stinky you know, uh, wash rind cheese really, but people do like to eat things like, you know, burrata and feta and things like that. So there's, Mm -hmm. there's a cheese for every season. Mm -hmm. I love that you remark about Andy Hatch and Helen Feet, two wonderful cheesemakers, Uplands Cheese Company in Wisconsin and Meadow Creek Dairy in Virginia. And I love both of their cheeses. They're, they're premier cheeses. Um, Pleasant Ridge Reserve and Grayson. Uh, so it was so nice to see people I knew in your book. Oh yeah, well the I mean those are two examples of of really amazing seasonal grass based cow cheese making, and that's mm-hmm. even more rare because I feel like most people that milk cows milk them all year because they can't. But um, at Uplands and Meadow Creek, they really made a decision to only make cheese when the cows are out on grass because that milk arguably produces more complex, more delicious, more interesting cheese. And um, so they should definitely be recognized for that because their cheeses are just amazing. And, uh, and, and, you know, in large part to how strict they are with themselves for really just sticking to the seasons and only Mm -hmm. making cheese from grass fed milk. And then they can go places better. Exactly. Yeah. Rick and Helen, they've got it figured out. I think, I don't know if they still do, but they used to go down to Belize every year in February. Oh, I was, wow. I always think about them. I'm like, oh, man, Rick and Helen are in Belize and I'm in New York in February. <laughs> and somebody must be milking the cows. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Actually, so, no. What am I talking about? But no, because the, the, the cows aren't producing milk in February. They're... Oh. The, oh, okay. They're all pregnant. They're on their pre-maternity leave. So they're just, oh, okay. they're just geniuses. That's it. Okay. Okay. Now, I also love to, to read about Solaire's, which is one of my first favorite cheeses from France. Oh, yeah. The Solaire's is so interesting. I mean, that's kind of the, you know, end-all, be-all cheese nerds cheese, if you, I think, if you think about it. It's, it's a shame that you can't find it 
more readily in the States. Um, but I, I thought it was a, a sort of a plain cheese almost. I think definitely I, it has a, it's a kind of a mild uh, cheddar-y ish cheese, but one that's made in the Auvergne region. And I became enamored with Solaire's even more so after reading Bronwyn and Francis Percival's book, Reinventing the Wheel, which is a mm-hmm. really amazing cheese book for anyone who's looking for, you know, to expand their cheese library. Um, just because it really gets at uh, the things that make cheeses super interesting. And that is, uh, you know, definitely the breed of the breed of animal, definitely what they're eating, but also the microbial culture behind each wheel of cheese. And Salers has been made in such a traditional way that they don't need to use any starter cultures. The wooden buckets that they milk the cows into are already just full of the right cultures that, you know, start the cheese making right away. So they have Mm -hmm. the microbes on their side. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, amazing. It's all amazing. So now I ha- I found a buried opinion in the book. Not enough difference between animal rennet and vegetarian rennet cheese. Does everyone agree with you on this topic? Oh, that there's not much of a difference between cheeses made from animal rennet or vegetable rennet? Yes. Well, what do you think? Well, I feel like, I don't know, we've both sold cheese for a long time. Could you taste a cheese and tell what kind of rennet it was made from? No. No. But I might know, have it memorized. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely, I think it's important to know because um, vegetarians care about that. Um, Right. I think that I was just trying to say that in terms of quality and flavor, Mm -hmm. there's no real difference between cheeses made from animal or vegetable rennet. Is it cheaper, one or the other? I don't know for certain, but I would guess the vegetable source is cheaper. Because right. it's produced in a lab. They can just kind of produce it, you know, uh, you know, however they want. But the, the veal rennet or, the, ca- or the, um, the kid rennet, you know, that all has to come from the animals. It seems like there's a, you know, you can't right. just grow exponentially those resources like you can grow spores in a lab (laughs) right um now i didn't realize that mozzarella in italy only is supposed to be water buffalo milk i did not know that yeah so rin caputo is like my mozzarella um she's like i guess i'm the evangelist but she's like my leader when it comes to uh (laughs) To mozzarella knowledge, uh, Caputo uh-huh. Brothers Creamery in Pennsylvania, they make amazing fermented mozzarella curd. And um, she really taught me the difference between uh, American mozzarella that's not made from fermented milk. It's just made from milk that's uh, acidified with citric acid or vinegar versus mm-hmm. Italian mozzarella um, that is cultured and undergoes fermentation. Uh, and then there's that further distinction of, yes, if it's made from water buffalo milk, it can be called mozzarella. And if it's made from cow's milk, it has to be called fior di latte. Right. I didn't realize that. No. Now, is that strict? Is it, Do you not ever see Italian cheese coming with uh, the wrong name? They probably do. I, I haven't done a ton of research on how... Vigorously, uh, that name is protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But I think that the distinction would be probably it would be labeled mozzarella di bufala if it was coming from Italy mm -hmm. with a genuine article made from buffalo. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I love the fact that you name um, four cheesemakers, uh, uh, almost all women except for Bob Reese. And I want to talk, I want to you to just name them. Um, the first one is Laura Chanel, or is it Chanel? Chanel, I, th I believe it's Chanel, yeah. And then Judy Shad, Mary Keene, and Allison Hooper, and Bob Reese, who were behind Vermont Creamery. Um, uh huh. And Lainey. And Lainey Fondiller. Oh my gosh, of course. Yes, for Lady <laughs> Farm. Now, is she smaller than the rest of them? Oh, yeah. Lainey, La Lazy Lady Farm is a very tiny farm in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. It is entirely solar and wind powered. And Lainey her, is, she does all the work. The lazy ladies are the goats, according to her. And that is 100% <laughs> true because she works, as far as I can tell, probably about 90 hours a week, um, milking the goats, making the cheese, aging the cheese, wrapping the cheese, selling the cheese at the farmer's market. Um, she is just a total force of nature. Uh, and she milks, I don't know how many she's milking herself right now. Probably, I would guess probably like around 30 or 40. And then I believe she started buying some goat's milk from her neighbors. Uh, who thank she, goodness. Yeah, I know, right? She's uh, someone, she's got to get a little break somewhere. Um, but she started their herd, so they're all Lainey's goats anyway. So it's all. Mm. <laughs> she's, she's, oh, they're all her goats. She's done the quality control that way. <laughs> <laughs> now, who else, Who did you add in to the to the um, crew? Mary Keene, Allison Hooper. Laura Chanel and Lainey Fondelier. Did you ask someone else? Oh, add someone and Judy else? Shad. Yes, Judy Shad. Oh, right. Area. She belongs in there too. Shame on me. Yes, you're absolutely <laughs> right. She does. Judy Shad is 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 awesome, and her cheese. And where is she so from? Great. Indiana. Yep, Indiana. Um, I just love that that they're almost all goat. They're almost all women. They're almost you know. It's just it's like the the uh hit parade yeah no they those uh you know goat ladies as they called them really started the whole artisan cheese revolution so we owe a lot to them uh-huh okay so one more thing um the american cheese society competition has been going on for years and now has grown to 1500 cheeses now, do you ever, um, have you ever judged or are you not allowed to judge? Oh, yeah. I judged um, just once um, when it was in Chicago. This was probably like, I don't know, uh, before I had children, so maybe nine, ten years ago. And it was really <laughs> intense. I, I got finished and I was like, wow, I don't think I've ever eaten that much cheese before. And I don't know if I'd ever care to eat that much cheese at once ever again. <laughs> and it's not all good cheese. No, I think I got like the Chipotle cheese category. is one of my <laughs> categories. And I got one like low fat cheese category. And yeah, I got a few good ones too. But yeah, judging cheese is not as glamorous as it might sound. <laughs> So what, who did, did you pick any winners? I remember? did. That year, the winning cheese started off on our table. It was a cheese that was made by, um, oh gosh, Car Valley. Um, oh, right. They won yeah. a couple times. 
they they made a goat cheddar. It was called a like a snow white goat cheddar, um, uh-huh. and um, that was the the winning cheese that year. So that was exciting. Oh, good, good. And the Cheesemonger Invitational. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Oh yeah. Well, there was a whole, little chapter just about these funny cheese competitions because anyone who's not part of you know this world a hundred percent of the time or even what ten percent of the time is probably like, what the heck are they talking about? But there are these funny cheese competitions. And so the ACS is one and the Cheesemonger Invitational is another one that was started by Adam Moskowitz, um, who is one of the owners of Larkin Logistics. And that that's just such a cool event. I mean, um, who, I hope it's able to happen again sometime in 2021 after COVID happens. But it's such a, uh, or after COVID is hopefully finished, um, but it's such a lovely way for the industry to come together and support young cheesemongers that are just mm-hmm. getting started. Um, now, in addition to there being a competition where people have to cut exact quarter pounds of cheese on stage and, you know, do a sales pitch live to an audience of like 500 people, um, there's also a big educational component. So young cheesemongers can meet different cheesemakers and learn so much during their uh, their time as a competitor, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. I love I love that uh, invitational. Um, so uh, uh, I think we're done. I think I've made it through most of my questions. It breeze, uh, breezing through, and um, I think I have to have you back on the show uh, in a while to see how the book's going and to see what what else we can discuss. I would love that. And thank you so, so much for, uh, you know, for making time and for inviting me to be on the show. I appreciate it. Okay, great. So Ian Saxelby, goodbye. (laughs) Thanks, Diane. You're welcome. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.